today for this resurrection day, the day that we often call Easter, I'm going to be doing something a little more specifically uh, targeted to that which is on the heart and minds of all of us today as we celebrate and remember the resurrection and what a change that has brought to all the entire creation. In 2011, there was an action thriller about a writer that took an experimental drug. The name of that movie was Limitless. The character that took that drug had been told that if he used it, all of his mind's power would be brought to the fore. The main character in the movie was Eddie Mara. Uh, I think uh, uh, Bradley, what's his name? I think it's actually the guy that played the, played the role. But Mara, basically a guy that's going nowhere, is told by his friend that if he takes the new drug, NZT, he said, man, you can unlock your full potential. And on the drug, if you've seen the movie, Eddie's future becomes virtually limitless. Now hold that thought. For our scripture reading now, coming from Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord, hear it with very careful appreciation and attention. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. O Lord, you are our light and our salvation, our hope, now and forevermore, because of your risen son. 
in the new world that he is bringing. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In this Sunday morning's scripture reading that we just read, we encounter these three women who are very painfully aware of the limitations of life. The cross had just said no, an emphatic no, to the most amazing person the most awesome and abundant life they had ever known. And they were heading to the tomb to pay their final respects in the way that they could by preparing the body of Jesus for its final burial. They certainly didn't expect to find what they found. They weren't going there looking for a resurrection to happen any moment. Even though Jesus had said over and over again that he would, no one believed. But they loved him, and so they were going. But they were overcome with grief. And as they arrived at the tomb, they looked up and they saw that the stone was already rolled back, just as we read. And as their eyes adjusted in the dim light, they saw this young man sitting there in the tomb next to where Jesus had been laying, and they saw the grave clothes. The visitor, of course, was who? It was an angel. An angel sent from God to bring a message, a very important two-pronged message. In the Bible, angels look a lot like people. If they look like something uh, scary or horrendous, people would truly probably run. But they look very much like people. They don't have wings. They don't have halos, though we, we always depict that in our, our visions of things. But when they do appear, there's something about them that's wholly different and other. And it gives human beings the heebie-jeebies. It makes us very, very alarmed and afraid. And that's what happened here. And so the angel could see it, and he said, don't be alarmed. Fear not, whatever translation, don't be afraid. I've got something good to tell you. I'm a messenger and I've come with some amazing news. Then he gives them a message that changes them and changes the whole world and the whole creation forever. It's a message that truly breaks the boundaries and shows us something limitless.
Something happened that day in that tomb on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago that's literally going to bring about something limitless. And it's not in a pill. It's in a person that got up and walked out of the grave. You see, the angel spoke a message, a two-pronged message, two components. The first thing he told them is what Jesus had said to them and the disciples multiple times. But he says, it really happened. He's risen. He's not here. Don't go looking for him. He's risen, just as he said. The first part of the angel's message, he is risen. Just what we said in Greek, Christalonesti. He is risen. This is arguably the most important. The resurrection, the fact of the resurrection is arguably the most important and one of the best attested facts in history. Skeptics notwithstanding. A lot of people think, oh, there's no evidence. There is unbelievable amount of evidence far more exceedingly far more than many other things that we take as incontrovertible fact and there's not near the support there is for the resurrection of Christ from the dead the fact is that the world has been ignoring the evidence and the facts for a very long time folks they've been doing it since that day and they're still doing it and there, but there is, despite their unbelief, there is plenty of evidence, both circumstantial, soft, if you will, and substantial, hard evidence. Both are there for the case of the resurrection. Let me give you a quote uh, from Mark Hensley. He says, Christianity would have been the easiest religion to disprove in the first few years. Just produce the body of Christ. Yet no such body ever turned up. Now, I don't know anybody who has come back from the dead. Better than that, Jesus said he would come back from the dead, and then he did. Harry Houdini said he would come back from the dead, and he didn't. Overcoming death, folks, is a big deal. It can't be ignored. If someone tells you that they are going to die and be dead for three days and then come back to life and are walking around with you, eating with you, talking to you, allowing you to touch them, that is a big deal. I suggest you listen to whatever somebody like that says. Pay attention to somebody who says, I am going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. Just as I said. And he did it. And he was eyewitnessed over 5,000 people before he ascended 
into heaven to be at the right hand of his father to continue his work for us. You see, God intended for the resurrection to be known and believed based on the testimony of others. You know, he could have done a ticker tape parade down Main Street, Jerusalem, or Rome, showing off Jesus. He didn't choose to do it that way. He said, I want you to tell what you've seen with your own eyes, with your own hands. I want you to go and tell others what you've witnessed. And that has been God's way of making the truth known ever since that day and ever will until he returns. You see, we must not keep news like that a secret. We don't keep news like that a secret. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, folks, if he didn't, if he's still somewhere his DNA is somewhere in the sand in the Middle East. If he didn't rise from the dead as he said he would. Who cares whether Jesus was born in a manger or in a 7-Eleven? It doesn't matter. Everything else is off the playing field. None of it matters. I can't imagine. I just I don't understand people that will pick and try to pick little little pieces of scripture and say, "Well, I've got a problem with this. I just don't see how you 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 strain at that." If Jesus is risen from the dead, it changes everything. If he's not, go on about your business and stop worrying about all the inconsequential details. You see, there's no consolation prize being offered. Well, I, I kind of have a feeling maybe in my heart that Jesus is sort of still alive there somehow. There's no consolation prize. He either did or he didn't. And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to prove why he didn't. Listen, folks, there's a real problem there's the problem of the empty tomb, but you know what? That's not the biggest problem. There's a problem bigger than the empty tomb. It's the empty grave clothes. The empty grave clothes. Think about it. Peter Jones uh, is, a, is a theologian, and um, we used to have him uh, several times over at the Pensacola Institute when I was over there. And uh, Dr. Jones and Dr. Frame, I got to enjoy sometimes uh, carrying them out uh, for to dinner and things. Uh, and uh, just getting to sit there as a fly on the wall. He's a pretty pretty bright uh, uh, theologian. And uh, but Peter Jones recently remarked this. He said, "Though the body of Lazarus had to be unbound, John eleven forty four, the body of Jesus didn't." It passed through the grave clothes, leaving them undisturbed. If you go read the account again, and that's what John just blew his mind when he saw what 
was, had happened to Jesus. Joan says, thieves could not have taken the body and left the grave clothes in such a condition. Nor could the disciples. No, the disciples actually observed something incredible. What they saw is comparable to those big Christmas decorative figures that people inflate at night and with, the light, with, with lights in them. But in the morning, they're all laying flat on the ground with all of the air gone out of them. It didn't get ripped apart. It collapsed. The body passed through it. No one, he says, this is the inexplicable mystery of the resurrection. No one took the body. It left on its own, passing through the unmoved grave clothes in the power of a resurrection body. That's what John saw. And believed. They all saw a further evidence of it later. But John recognized that when he came to the tomb and saw the grave clothes. You see, my friends, they couldn't explain it then and they can't explain it now. At this point, I need to make a comment briefly about the ending of Mark's gospel. Some of you, if you, if, you, if you look at your Bibles, some of you may have, if you have an older translation like a King James or something, you may find a longer section to the book of Mark instead of ending at chapter uh, uh, 16, verses 1 through 8. That's what we read, and I believe that is the uh, accurate uh, reading. The other verses, 9 through 20, I believe, basically made their way into the scriptures at a later date. They were not part of, and though everything in them, they say, are, is true. It's, it's otherwise attested and spoken, but it just doesn't fit, this being the ending of Mark. But there is a, a purpose for Mark's rather dramatic and kind of almost like, what? Why did you end it like that, Mark? I mean, why didn't you say, and they all lived happily ever after? Mark didn't. He left kind of it hanging. You see, what's going on? Mark was employing a subtle literary device that was intentional. The ending of the way he seems to have left it hanging with those women dazed and confused and perplexed and pondering and being uncertain and afraid. That ending was intentional. But you know what, my friends? It was not an ending. It wasn't an ending. That angel that came had a two-pronged message, remember? The first one is he is risen, just as he said. The angel said, you will see him because he's going before you. So the message was, he is risen. And then part two, he, the risen Christ, is going before you into Galilee. Now, what's the significance of that? The angel said that. You shall see him just as you told, as he told you before he died. He promised him he would rise from the dead, and he did. And then 
the angel says, and he also promised that he would meet you in Galilee. And historically, he did. He met them there. Now, what's, what's the significance of going to a backwater town, a little redneck fishing village up on the Sea of Galilee that we call it, the Lake Gennesaret, whatever, whatever Tiberius's lake, whatever you want to call it. What's the significance of it? It sure wasn't the center of the universe. Why would Jesus go there? Why would he say he's going to meet his disciples there? My friends, that's where it all began. That's where it all began. Jesus was promising them a new beginning. He was not just saying, I'm alive, I'm risen. I'm promising you and the world a whole new beginning. You've heard me tell this before story, and um, uh, back in uh, Joe and Rita, you'll have to help me. I can't remember, was it uh, 09 or 10 that we went to Israel? 10. And I remember, still chokes me up every time I think about it. I remember one of the places when we were in the, in the Galilee, and we had gone up to a, pass, a passage that led through and out ultimately to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's where down that valley of the wind and doves, was called, is where all those storms, the wind would come in and, and stir up the Galilee the, uh, lake and cause all, all the stormy conditions. Very common. But I remember in our guide telling us that this would have been the path where we were standing in that valley of the wind and doves and seeing this small path. There couldn't have been any others because there's rock, high mountains on both sides. And yet, realizing that Jesus walked into his earthly ministry publicly from Nazareth to into Capernaum, he came through that pass in the valley of the wind and doves. And I remember just, just standing here and thought, this is where it began. This is where it all started. And I had it floating in my mind as themes from one of Trans-Siberian Orchestra's songs. It begins. It begins. That's how they leave it hanging. That's what happened. Jesus is showing them and the world a new beginning. He's not through and going back to heaven to leave things however. He's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth someday. And he started then with them. The resurrection was the advent, folks, of the age to come. It was the coming of the new age. Not the way we think of it, but of a new period in which Christ has come, become the prototype of a new limitless being. 
You see, the resurrection, the point of the gospels that they make in their own way is that Jesus, because Jesus is raised, God's new world has begun. And as a result, guess what? You and I have got a job to do. What's that? What's the job description? In short, we're supposed to colonize planet Earth with the life of heaven. The life that Jesus took back to heaven. The new man in heaven. We're to colonize this world with the message and with inside us because Jesus lives in everyone that has put their trust and their faith in him. We are to colonize this planet with the life of heaven. We're supposed to be an aroma, a fragrant aroma, Paul says. We're supposed to be a foretaste. We're supposed to reference something greater than us, pointing people to Jesus. To bring the life of heaven, the recreating, renewing life of Jesus to bear on this present world in which we find ourselves. That's why we're here. Listen to this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's not, it's not from the art of dying. Socrates had that down. But from the resurrection of Christ that a new purifying wind can blow through our present world. He's alive. He's alive. Heaven's gates are opened wide. He's alive. Thanks to Dolly Parton. The song, not, not that he is alive. <laughs> you see, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. What are we supposed to be praying? What do we start out praying? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Make this resemble that. You see, this is the stuff of Romans 8. This is the stuff of Revelation 21 and 22. Behold, I make all things new, Jesus says. You see, with Easter... God's new beginning begins. Creation 2.0. Creation 2.0 is unleashed upon a surprised and terrified and stunned world. Those ladies, alarmed, grappling. What, what, were they scared in the sense of like they watched a bad horror movie? No. But they couldn't, could not wrap their minds around what they had witnessed. What has changed in this world? And what will change everything else? As they pondered in dismay, confused, but thinking, well, what, if this happened, what does that mean? That, that means, for how long? Did they continue there? That's how Mark left it. Because 
It's all a new beginning in Christ. Remember, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Jesus came up from the grave to bring the new to you and to me. But we have to put our faith in him. You see, do you grasp what the resurrection really means? Yeah, we know. We, we were so used to it. Some of us have been around here a long time. We've been seen a lot of Easter's come and go. And they all kind of have some of the same things in them. And they all have same the same songs, which we love and, and all that. But, you know, it just we're not thinking about it a lot. We need to be thinking about it a lot. You see, I love it to see Christians begin to understand the implications of their faith. Not just that they have faith, that they believe something, but they begin to start putting the pieces together in the right order. They start solving the Rubik's Cube. They start putting the pieces in the puzzle together that begin to make something and they begin to comprehend and understand. I love to see Christians begin to understand the implications of their faith. I've already uh, given, given a note of uh, a recognition to Dolly Parton. I might as well throw Johnny Cash in there too. Right? Well, actually, this is Johnny, Johnny uh, the first one that did this or at least popularized it. But I actually like Molly Skaggs' version of it better. It's a song called Ain't No Grave. Ain't No Grave. It goes like this. So this, is at least, this is part of it, the essence of it. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise up out of the ground. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Do you understand? What was being comprehended? If Jesus got out of that grave, if he walked out of it, 2,000 years ago, then someday I'm going to walk out of it too. Later in the song, Molly really gets into it. And then there's this line, Oh, if you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Oh, if you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Oh, if you walked out of the grave, I'm a-walking too. Oh, if you walked out of the grave, I'm a-walking too. She's understanding the implication. If Jesus is risen, it means we will rise with him. We sang today, didn't we? Made like him, like him, we rise. Ours the cross, 
the grave, the skies. Oh, my friends, you see, the resurrection transforms a hopeless end into an endless hope. Because of the resurrection, every act of love, every deed done in Jesus' name, every work of justice, every act of mercy is an earthly event in the long history of things that implement Jesus' own resurrection and anticipate the final new creation. Everything that we do should be somehow moving us in those small things, making a better world. It won't come by the power of men or politicians or governments. It will only come by the increasing work of God's Spirit and the risen Christ bringing His new creation. He's the one that said, I make, behold, I make all things new. That fact, my friends, in Christ will one day make your life and mine nearly limitless. Let's pray. Father, Lord, what will that life be? Lord, we cannot begin to comprehend. We cannot imagine. But Father, thank you that in newness of life, you rose up from the grave. Because you got out of that grave, there ain't no grave going to hold us down. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us. You came and you showed the new life, a new creation that you are bringing. Father, we still see much that is still so broken in us and in our world. But you're not through. And Lord, help us to play our small part in making that new world come. All by the power of your spirit and to your glory. And we ask and pray now in Jesus' name, our risen Savior. Amen.